it's a fairly dynamic space in the way that a credit card loan, a car loan will be underwritten two, three, five years from now when today's renter wants the benefit of that. Welcome back to Code 53, The Apartment Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Johnson with NMHC. On this show, we bring you into conversation with apartment industry executives, leading experts in the multifamily sector, and a diverse group of practitioners, all to help you learn everything it takes to create communities, from business strategy, to design, to finance and leadership. Today on Code 53, we're going to explore a hot topic in the multifamily space right now, rent payment reporting. It represents a great opportunity for both operators and renters, and new statutes and regulatory activity suddenly are encouraging it. We'll dig into how it creates economic mobility, improves household affordability, and the impact that provider innovations are making to make it easier for property managers to implement and reliably sustain. Coming up, everything you ever wanted to know but were afraid to ask about rent payment reporting with attorney Jay Harris. The Code 53 podcast is brought to you by NMHC, the National Multifamily Housing Council, the place where the leaders of the apartment industry come together to guide their future success. From owners to managers and developers, NMHC's members create thriving communities by providing apartment homes for 40 million people, contributing $3.4 trillion annually to our nation's economy. Our guest today is the principal attorney with Harris Crystal Advisors, where he represents multifamily housing operators and vendors. Jay Harris is a former general counsel to two publicly traded industry vendors, and he has advised the rental housing industry for three decades. He is also the author of a recent NMHC resource publication for members on the topic of rent payment reporting. Jay, welcome to Code 53. Thanks, Allison. It's great to be here on Code 53. Well, we're delighted to have you dig into a very weedy topic um, and legal. Um, So we're always good to have a counsel like yours here to explain it all to us. Jay, as I said, rent payment reporting is a popular topic right now, and it's ripe for innovation and a lot of potential in the business areas. But most importantly, it benefits consumers who need the reporting to show up for improved terms on car purchases and loans, on their credit card rate, and on mortgage loan offers. Let's start with a 30,000-foot view of rent payment reporting. What's the history here? Sure. So it's a complex topic. It's one where property management companies have been reporting renter payment history to consumer reporting agencies for decades. It's getting new attention now because in this Biden administration in particular, there's more attention to ways in which more renter history can show up in credit decisions that are made, whether it's in the mortgage or the auto auto or credit card context, so that a renter who's paid renter history on time, lease obligations on time, is able to get the credit, get better terms for that credit card, auto or mortgage loan. And there's some new innovations that we'll talk about in terms of both consumer reporting as well as consumer permission, renter history sharing, both of which can help a consumer qualify for better terms in the credit granting process if the lender is using a score or a tool that includes that renter payment history. As I understand the process, this is renter payment reporting is voluntary. Every furnisher of information must develop their own policies and protocols. That's right. It's a voluntary program. And so sometimes the question is, well, what's in it for the furnisher? In this case, the property management company. 
And there's sort of two ways to look at it with some of the innovations that have come along in the last several years. There's sort of the traditional model, which is one in which the property management company can furnish data to a credit bureau with the help of a facilitator. Either the property management company can do it itself or can work with a facilitator to make that information available to some of the the uh, consumer reporting agencies, the three principal credit bureaus being Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. Or increasingly, there have been innovations around consumer permissioned reporting. And this is one where it's more resident driven in that the resident is saying it would like to share its account information with a credit grantor, a lender of some sort. And then the the lender will use uh, an intermediary to review the actual account information directly rather than going through the credit bureau and make its credit assessment for a credit card loan or auto mortgage loan through that consumer permissioned approach. So two ways now to get to the result and ones that have different operational implications for property operators. Great. And I would like to talk about the operational implications, but let's touch first legislation and regulatory agencies looking anew at the financial well-being of underserved communities, making sure that all people who are participating economically in markets are getting recognized and good credit for that participation. Can you bring us up to speed of what's happening that is giving multifamily operators a fresh look at this process? So one of the the key drivers more recently on the regulatory front has been uh, work by the Federal Housing Finance Administration, FHFA, to approve, to validate credit scores for mortgage lending that include renter payment history. And so in the past, while some leading edge property management companies have reported this information and made it available, there wasn't always a connection between that work they were doing for the renter and the benefit showing up with better terms because what a mortgage lender, for example, might use in making its credit decision was a credit score that didn't include some of that renter payment history. So it may be available, but it may not be used by that particular credit decision. So what's changed here is the FHFA's efforts in October after an extensive process to validate some of the credit scores that are out in the market in particular, uh, a version of the FICO score and a vision of Vantage score for mortgage lending and say those are valid, are well-supported and inclusive, and they include the renter payment history that has been available in some numbers in the system for a while. And that's a step in the right direction. It won't happen overnight, but what the FHFA has done is said over the next few years, as systems are updated on the mortgage lending side, that a mortgage lender, in order to sell a loan to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, will have to include one of these mortgage scores that includes renter payment history in order to sell the loan as a condition of selling the loan. Again, there'll be a couple of years for that to fully take on that side. But now for those property management companies that have been reporting that information, there's now more need for it, a requirement on the mortgage side. There's some voluntary adoption in other types of credit granting like auto and like credit card and other sorts. But this step on the mortgage side, I think is really a strong move on the regulatory for support of this practice. Uh, And then the other part I've mentioned with that has been parallel work, both on the research front and the operations front for uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to put into their equitable housing finance plans, specific commitments to encourage and educate the market around how to report renter payment history 
uh, through the, the credit reporting process and also through the consumer permission process with new incentives for some of their borrowers to uh, work with facilitators that they've identified for reporting more renter payment history. So the GSEs and their regulator are looking at this and they're researching the benefits of the how, how to get it done. But there is housing finance research out there. Can you shed some light on some of the evidence? This is more than just a political worthwhile. This is a, an economic worthwhile. That's, that's absolutely right. And that's one of the reasons the research, you know, there's, there's good, this is good data driven policymaking. And that was one of the reasons why the National Multifamily Housing Council uh, you know, several years ago was talking to federal regulators to say, hey, look, wider adoption by credit grantors of the renter payment data that property management companies are already providing and have done for some decades has a strong consumer benefit. And we encourage wider regulatory support for that. So NMHC deserves some kudos for taking that research early on in the policy process and encouraging the path forward, which the FHFA has taken. Um, so yes, on there are probably two Two areas to look at uh, for people that are interested in the research on the benefits of renter payment history. What does it do for the resident herself? One is work that was done by the uh, Policy and Economic Research Council and released by HUD, Department of Housing and Urban Development, early in 2020, still available on the HUD website, Policy Development and Research section. And it looked at residents in public housing authorities, a small sample of those and looked at what benefit would come from this credit challenged environment. These are not market rate renters. These are you know, public housing authority residents in the 2019-2020 uh, study. And it found that in, in two areas, there were significant benefits for consumers who would uh, report their renter payment history in the housing authority. One was that a significant proportion of them could now be scored in a way that they were not, uh, didn't have a deep enough credit filed without the renter payment history to generate a credit score, reliable credit score to evaluate their credit risk. Uh, and then also for those that, the, the second category of those that had a credit score, the pluses far outweighed the minuses. Those that had an improved score by adding the renter payment history in the housing authority were a significantly greater group than those for whom it had a derogatory effect to add in that uh, housing authority renter payment history. Depending on the model, uh, it was, you know, two to one or more, uh, in some cases, 16 to one, 16 would benefit for everyone that saw a decrease in their credit score. So it's really some significant gains depending on how the risk was modeled. And that was one bit of good research that supported some of the other research that had come before it. More recently, the end of 2021, the Urban Institute's Housing Finance Policy Center released a very good comprehensive study on rent as well as utility and telecom data what are called sort of alternative data sources and the benefits of including those in credit underwriting. And again, credit underwriting, not just for mortgage, but also for credit card, auto, and other, other types. So a, a good thorough study about the benefits of including that. And again, similar conclusions, more of these what were called credit invisibles could be scored. And similarly, credit scores uh, were increasing for the substantial majority of those that were in the added pool. We're glad to see it's driving some of the policy making that comes out of it. Right, thinking through credit scoring and how people spend their money, it's difficult to get a holistic picture. Rent payment for many households is the largest expenditure. So there is a lot to be said for why it's good 
and what the positive outcomes are for both the owner operator and the resident. But there are devils in the details here in how it gets operationalized or implemented, particularly as companies are looking to develop better policies around DEI, not only in their organization, but in their operations. As companies look through that lens, what are the costs and the risks that an operator needs to think through as we encourage them to consider this kind of activity? That's a good question. And I think kind of the COVID experience played up a little bit more some of the risks because some of the regulatory bodies became more active in highlighting those risks and their interest in enforcing in that area uh, with some of their uh, enforcement bulletin guidance. And, you know, those firms that have been doing it for a while saw new complexity in all the local ordinances that addressed the the point at which a payment would be late under some localities, COVID-related moratoria or other conditions. This is why we wrote the white paper. Uh, we don't have slides on the podcast to sort of show pros here, cons there, but we do in the white paper to, to tee it up. And so there is some exposure that needs to be managed where a property management company decides they want to be a furnisher into the consumer reporting environment. They're subject to the Fair Credit Reporting Act. They and their vendor need to work out, you know, on an implementation basis, the right policies and procedures they need for making sure that this is accurate information that's being furnished about the person paying on time or paying late. Um, they need to have a way to handle these disputes. Uh, if there are questions about uh, something where the resident is, is asking is disputing something that's been reported about them. And that's a new level of consumer interaction and a new level of liability exposure that a furnisher faces if they decide to take that step to give the resident that benefit. Uh, and obviously, you know, there are costs associated with that. Now there are some new entrants into the field that help with the expertise and the management of that. So it is possible for a property management company who says, we don't have this as a core competency, but we'd like to play a role in helping the residents. We'd like to do it out of the payment history in our property management software to work with some of the vendors in that space. Uh, and get not only the benefit of renter history reporting, but also some of the other benefits, some of the innovations that have come on in the space in the last few years, such as uh, short-term loans that some facilitators are also providing to help late-paying renters carry over and, and handle short-term problems they may, they may have with cash flow. There are also some getting credit card points and other benefits for renter payment history. So new features uh, that uh, as, as well as a uh, you know, new expertise to outsource the reporting competency are available to property management uh, companies now that weren't there five years ago. That's good and valuable, but it's important that they need to manage the risk to make sure the information is accurate, make sure somebody's doing a QA on this, make sure there's a good consumer response, not just for enrollment and unenrollment when the tenant wants to come off, which happens sometimes, but also, as I mentioned, around disputes that they may have when they go someplace else. So that's the kind of where things are today on pros and cons of the, of the traditional um, consumer reporting. And that's where, as I mentioned, when COVID came along, some firms that have been doing this for a while said, wait a second, now we are tracking at the local county level, what's the due date for an individual who hasn't paid in some months and reporting that accurately. And for larger firms, they said, you know, we think we have a pretty good handle on this, but we also know there's some exposure if we're not getting this right. So we need to look carefully at how we run this. We really need to stay on top at a, you know, very local level at, uh, at what point is a past due payment really due 
if Los Angeles County has said you've got another three months or four months before it's actually due because of the COVID problem. And so uh, I, I think that gave raised some concerns for experienced, savvy uh, property management companies and their providers about uh, looking at do they need to report on-time payment and late payment information, or should they just be reporting on-time payment information, positive-only reporting, as it's called. And so I think that led to firms, in some cases, to rethink whether they would provide only on-time payment information or derogatory late payment information too. So that's a consideration, something to think through as you evaluate your ability to manage. And the answer to that question really varies if you are a property operator that's in a relatively small set of jurisdictions that you're on top of versus uh, you know, a highly diversified firm uh, where you have some significant exposure and you have uh, you know, a fairly dynamic local regulatory scheme. So that's, that's one area of considerations. The evaluation is a little different in the consumer permission space because here the property management company is facilitating this or encouraging this, but plays more of a marketing role and is not a furnisher of record for the purposes of litigation exposure under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So here with a consumer permission approach, they are making the renter aware of ways in which the renter can share its account information directly with a firm that facilitates the use of that information by mortgage lenders and auto lenders and credit, credit card lenders and the like. So that sort of consumer permission evaluation of account payment information, cash flow risk evaluation, different from the traditional consumer reporting system, is one that is getting increasing attention. Uh, one in which there are several providers out there. There's some overlap between those that facilitate consumer permission reporting and those that facilitate traditional credit reporting, consumer credit reporting of renter payment history. But that consumer permission approach with cash flow risk evaluation, uh, as there are more lenders that can perform that kind of risk evaluation, we see that there'll be more adoption of that approach by residents who are aware of this. So there, the property management company is playing more of an educational role and encouraging residents to look at that approach as well. And what's interesting, I think, in terms of kind of what's better as between the two is that you see under both the equitable housing finance plans from Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, that they both have initiatives on both those areas because it's a fairly dynamic space in the way that a credit card loan, a car loan will be underwritten two, three, five years from now when today's renter wants the benefit of that is one in which I think we'll see more consumer permissioned approaches, wider acceptance, wider understanding of that among residents, uh, as well as the traditional consumer reporting system model. So interesting times ahead and, and one in which potentially that's a way for property management companies that are a little more risk averse in managing their litigation exposure to facilitate and point to solutions to educate renters about consumer permission approaches that can work. Jay, you've described, in my mind, um, something that is highly specific and somewhat complicated. Where's your first point of entry? If you were going to give anyone some guidance on your first point of entry of how to perform an internal analysis of which strategy works best for you? I think the first step is to think through what role do you want to play? And I think the answer is different. If you are in several jurisdictions that are very dynamic in terms of their regulatory process, 
Uh, I think we see more of those today, given you know uh, just trends in the marketplace. Uh, the White House announcement, even even this week, pointing to more renter-centric solutions, advocacy blueprint for renter rights. Uh, you know, I, I think we'll continue to see a fairly dynamic picture of what kind of rights are expected for for residents and properties. So as companies think about their appetite for risk uh, and they think about the role that they want to play, they can look at which of those models, the consumer reporting or the consumer permission make more sense for how they run their business. And then secondly, I think they're looking at vendors in the market. Several of them are NMHC members, but looking at facilitators who can help with this process to help develop the policies and procedures that a company would need as a furnisher and help uh, think through how to staff this and the collateral that's needed uh, and so forth. Again, these are sort of the, the baseline questions that are in the white paper that would be in the consideration for any property management committee that or property management company that's thinking about providing any new service uh, and its ability to execute on that. And I, and I think, um, you know, being honest about the, the role they want to play, the staff capability to do that, and then the trust level and the vendor and the oversight of the vendor are all good places to start to see really where are you on this. Uh, and uh, that can be a very diverse set of considerations if you're a small operator in one state versus, uh, you know, a, a bi-coastal operator with a large or very large portfolio. Jay, thank you so much for your time today. I think definitely a lot to consider. Jay Harris, Principal Attorney with Harris Crystal Advisors, thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Wonderful. And for everyone listening, if you are a member of NMHC, this document is accessible to you on our website at nmhc.org. And if you're not a member, please go to nmhc.org and you can see other white papers there as well. And again, thanks to everyone downloading and sharing this podcast. You know, with this episode, we mark our first year anniversary of Code 53. So thank you to everyone who weighed in on the why and the how of a podcast about the business of multifamily and how communities are created. Subscribe. Meet us right back here on Code 53, the apartment podcast.